those seats are hard, so you're welcome to do so. For the men, uh, the men's conference or the men's breakaway, it's not this coming Saturday, but the Saturday after that. Hopefully you're planning on attending, you're signed up for that. It's a free event. Um, and Jim Cuthbertson has set up some box lunches for us from Jimmy John's. And so we're going to leave the church. I think it's over at 1. We're going to drive over to Jimmy John's and pick up our box lunches. But you need to select what you want. So the sandwiches are listed here. So if you have not signed up, go ahead and raise your hand up, and Jim will get this list to you. Okay. Good. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome, sir. Pass that around. You guys look around, see who has it, and pass it to the next guy. So First John chapter 4, picking up where we left off last week. Okay. I heard some great lyrics today from a song, um, Citizens and Saints. You guys ever listen to them? Very good. I don't even know what song this is. Marielle, Nehemiah, you guys listen to them quite a bit. You do some of their songs. But um, the lyric was, and now, let's see, and now that my eyes are open... I can see that I am stronger broken. You're the mystery that I put my hope in. It goes on from there. I just thought it was so beautiful. Do, do we ever do that song? I don't think we do that song. Hint, hint. Maybe we should do that song. It's a great song. Okay. First John chapter 3 and verse 24. It says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this we know that the, by this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already, or is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is kind of hot. Is it, is it loud out there? Okay, maybe just a little. I feel like, because I, you know, my voice gets loud when I'm not. I don't want to blow people away. I did that on Sunday, right? So you can only do it once a week. So it says, uh, verse 4, And you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who 
knows God, hears us. He who does not, uh, uh, is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Father, we pray, as we always do, it's, it's your word and it's your spirit that teaches us. And yet, of course, we have our human teachers. And so I pray for myself, Lord, that I wouldn't say things that really don't need to be said. And I pray that you would bring to remembrance things that you would want said tonight. But I pray, Lord, most of all, that we as a people would be sensitive to your spirit. We have your word right before us. And as we're here in this place, as we look down at the text, look down at a phrase, a verse, whatever it might be, we just pray, Father, that you would speak to us. We pray that we would not leave this place having not heard from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I um, I thought it was interesting. There are there are patterns in Scripture, and and to me, this is what makes Scripture even that much more intriguing and exciting. When when you see a pattern, and uh, I was just kind of reading through my text for tonight, and I was reading through Nate's text from last week because uh, Tracy and I weren't here last week. We were. I was picking Tracy up from the airport. And so as I was reading the text that he taught last week and then the text that I was going to be teaching tonight, there was a a phrase, um, some words that just kind of jumped out at me. And it's the words, we know. We know. And we see that in chapter 3, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 18, chapter 3, verse 24, and then we see it in chapter 4, our text tonight, verses 2 and 6. And I was thinking of how John opened this epistle. Remember how he'd opened that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have handled with our own hands. You know, we make these things known to you. They're speaking of the Lord. We make these things known to you so that so that the fellowship we have with the Lord, that you might enter into that fellowship. And, of course, you know, our fellowship will be full. Your fellowship will be full. And it just really speaks of this beautiful, beautiful uh, koinonia. Uh, as of late, I was talking to someone. We were talking about different buzzwords in the church, modern-day church. And a buzzword in the modern-day church is community. You can't find it in the Bible, but it's a buzzword. It's all about community. It's all about community. You say, wait a minute. It's got to be in there. It's not in there. What we see is the word fellowship. See, the very word that John was using when he opened and you know his epistle, the epistle that we're looking at, the word is Fellowship, you say, what's the difference? Community, modern-day buzzword for modern-day Christians, community is, let's all get together, have a cup of coffee, and just chat, you know. Your opinion's as valid as my opinion, and let's just get together and kumbaya. And that's not biblical fellowship at all. The word koinonia, the Greek word fellowship, koinonia, we do not have an English equivalent to that word. 
And so in order to even get close to understanding the word koinonia, the thing that the early church experienced and uh, were involved in and loved, uh, you have all these different English words to kind of describe what the word is. It speaks of communion. It speaks of having in common. It speaks of sharing. It speaks of giving. It speaks, I mean, it, it, it's just a, you know, there's so many words that you could throw at this, this Greek word, koinonia. And we know that the early church, you know, in Acts chapter 2, we see in the early church that as the Lord was adding to the church and there was just a, you know, beautiful increase of, of uh, new converts to Christ that, let's see, yeah, chapter 2, I'm just going to read one verse, you don't even have to turn there if you don't want need to, but verse uh, 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, so the teaching of the apostles, by the way, that's what we seek to do, that's why we have Bible studies all the time, new people, sometimes they say, is that all you guys do is Bible study? Yes, because we're trying to follow the model of the early church. Because that was something that was blessed by God. God was adding to that church, the early church, daily, those who should be saved. So they were committed, they were steadfast in the doctrine of the, of the apostles. And fellowship, there's that Greek word, koinonia, and breaking of bread. So that would be eating with one another and... As they would eat with one another, then there would also be communion. Uh, you know, communion was very much a part of, of their social gatherings, guys, when they would come together. And then, of course, prayers. Um, so that was the early church. And John, he opens his epistle, and he wants us, his readers, to enter into this fellowship, to enjoy this fellowship that, that they enjoyed and experienced with Jesus. And so our text begins in chapter 3, verse 24. It says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. You know, guys, so often, um, you know, Monday night we had a great night with our men. And um, one of the brothers, it might have been, it might have been Nehemiah. It doesn't matter who said it. But someone was talking about um, the Word of God, you know. And as we're in the Word of God, as we're reading the Word of God, as we become familiar with the Word of God, it's like our enthusiasm for the Word of God is increased. It's like a love for the Word of God begets a love for the Word of God. You never just get dull of the Word of God. And... Um, and if we're, I mean, we have it here. You know, we've had this verse on the wall. It's changed because we paint the wall sometimes. So then we, but this is the second version, but it's the exact same verse. You know, uh, if you abide in my word. These, of course, are the words of Jesus. So there's an if. It's conditional. It's not this abstract, I'm a believer. What does that mean? I'm a follower of Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? Show me, show me. Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm all about community. No, no, no. Show me what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would say, if you abide in my word. 
And John, because John, of course, he's, he's just teaching what he had heard from Jesus himself. He says, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he, so, and the Lord, in him or her. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So he speaks of the Holy Spirit. This is another blessing that the Lord has given us. His Spirit. Not a Spirit. His Spirit. The Spirit of the living God. He gives us His Spirit as a down payment or a engagement ring, if you will. He gives it to the bride of Christ, guaranteeing, listen, I'm a man of my word, the Lord would say. If I'm betrothed to you, I'm betrothed to you. And nothing's going to change my heart about you. And here's the proof. I give you my spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in, dwells within us. And then, of course, you know, boy, for the diligent student, or even the halfway interested student of the Bible, you can study the scriptures on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and there's such a blessing to see what the Holy Spirit does. And yet, in the church today, I mean, different segments of the church, some would say, well, the Holy Spirit, he just does all that mystical stuff, you know, turn down the lights, light the candles, ooh. And it's just so strange. And I think, you know what? That's a different spirit. You're talking about a different spirit. You're using the phrase Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God, but as you describe him and as you attribute different things to him that are not seen in the Word of God, and of course one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to direct us to the Word of God. The Word of God, by the way, that he inspired the human writers to write. So he's never going to direct us away from the word of God that he inspired. He's going to always direct us back to the word of God. But we have the spirit of the living God within us. Because we have the spirit of the living God within us, if you're a Christian, this is only true for Christians. If you've been born again, have you been born again? Jesus says you must be born again. You will not see. You won't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So are you born again? So if you're born again, you have the spirit of the living God within you. The spirit of the living God within us gives us discernment so that we might recognize truth from error. So here's a question. Why is it that so many professing Christians seem to lack spiritual discernment? If the gift of God... To his bride is the Spirit of God who gives us the ability to discern why is it that so many professing Christians seem to have no discernment at all? Tell me, somebody. Literally, Bible illiterate, basically. Bible illiterate, yeah. Because, see, we can have the Spirit of God and never, never have interest in the word that he inspired and so we have no knowledge so he doesn't just like funnel knowledge into our brain but the scripture tells us that he reminds us of what we see in the scriptures so as we're in the scriptures we glean discernment it's the spirit of god that's giving us the discernment because the spirit of god reminds us of the things that we see in the scriptures 
And this is why it's so important to read the scriptures, to know the scriptures, to know the word of God, to abide in my word. That's why it's so important. We need to have a love for the word of God. And if you don't have that, listen, don't beat yourself up, but drop to your knees and plead with the Lord to give you a love for his word. Lord, would you please give me a love for your, your word? I've said it many times that on the day that I received Christ, the day that I surrendered my life to the Lord, I came home from my, you know, grumpy walk and came home and I had an, a supernatural desire for something that I had never, ever read before in my life. And it was the Bible. And I started reading the scriptures, and, and I, I, I'll tell you, you know, academically, I struggled all the way through school, college, you know, the short time I was in college, twice, you know, dropping out. I struggled so much, but now, and I didn't know it at the time, I didn't understand these things at the time. But when I surrendered my life to the Lord, he gave me a spirit, he gave me this appetite for something that obviously would cause me to grow in my faith. I didn't know it at the time. And then he gave me the ability to comprehend what I was reading. And I'll tell you, that is a beautiful gift of God. Now, having mentioned the Holy Spirit, it almost seems as if, now John, he's thinking of, well, you know, there's the Holy Spirit, but there's also other spirits. And so he launches out off on the subject of deceiving spirits. Deceiving spirits. Look what it says, uh, verse 1, chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. And this is why, because many false prophets have gone into the world, gone out into the world. So you have the Spirit of God. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit of God. But you have to be aware of the fact that there are other spirits in the world, there are deceiving spirits. In the world. Now, I, I, no one needed to tell me that there were deceiving spirits because I lived, you know, probably from the time I was 13 until I, you know, started dating my wife and getting serious about, you know, a relationship with my wife to be. I was not seeking the deceiving spirits at that, but up to that point, I was constantly seeking deceiving spirits. You know, the Buddhist temple with the beads, and we're chanting, and we're doing, or Krishna, the Krishna temple down at Pacific Beach, or the self-realization center down in Encinitas, or whatever, or whoever, you know, might come along, and they've got their brand of spirituality, you know. I said, wow, that sounds good. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe we should try this. You know, have a little taste of that and dabble in this. And they were deceiving spirits. They didn't bring me to Christ. Listen, a lot of those groups, a lot of, you know, a lot of the gurus would speak about Jesus. A lot of them. Maharishi Yogi spoke about Jesus. Self-realization center, Bhagwan, Rajneesh, you know, they all speak about Jesus. Um, But they see Jesus as an ascended master, just as they themselves are ascended masters, and just as you could be an ascended master, you know. It's 
deceiving spirits behind their teachings. And to assume that every, every spiritual or every supernatural experience is from God is very dangerous and extremely naive. And this is where a lot of professing... You're going to find me using that term all the time now. Because you know what? I'm done pretending that people are Christians. Professing Christians. Professing Christians. You know, professing Christians that are constantly chasing after signs and wonders. Do you know that the Bible says that signs and wonders, they followed, you know, they, they followed the disciples or the apostles. They weren't, they weren't chasing after signs and wonders. They, they, were, they were leading the way. They were doing what the Lord had called them to do, and the Lord was giving them ability to perform signs and wonders, miracles, healings, deliverance, you know, of demons and things like that. But it's crazy today, you know. You have so many people that are saying, you know, let's go over here and let's go over there and let's check this out and this movement and that movement. Years ago, we had these three guys, construction workers. I know they were construction workers because um, I had talked to them beforehand. They came to the island. They were building a house here on the island. And uh, they set up in the front row and... They were very zealous, you know, very excited and everything. And and so we started worshiping, and, and they're just going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And so I went over to these three men, and I said, Hey, guys, the folks here came to worship Jesus, not to watch you. And so they stopped. But, of course, they wanted to talk to me later. I don't care. Well, we talk later, but just don't interrupt what we're doing right now in the moment. And they said, well, you just don't understand. The church that we go to down in Tacoma or wherever it might have been, this is what they told me. Twelve-year-olds are raising the dead. I said, really? I said, where do you guys get the dead? Where do you get the dead people? I mean, do you just have dead people laying around the church so the 12-year-olds can raise them from the... I mean, you know, when you, when you make this outlandish statement, or do people walk into your church and they fall dead? And then 12-year-olds are raised from the... I mean, when you have these outlandish statements, you know. But it's like, oh, man, you're quenching the spirit. No, we're not quenching the spirit. We want to be open to the spirit. We want to be led by the spirit. We, would, we don't want to grieve the spirit, you know. So... Listen, we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning. He says, do not believe every spirit. The word believe, to have faith in or upon with respect to entrusting. He says, don't do that. Just because someone uses the name Jesus or speaks of God or uses the Bible, or quotes a verse, or whatever it might be, does not mean they're from God. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that? In fact, let me show you something, even in our text, because uh, he gives us a test here in, in verse 2. Look what it says. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. Now, if that's the only test, I want you to consider that. That's a really low bar. Because the majority of the cults believe that Jesus came in the flesh. 
And then as it goes on, verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess, stop. You say, why stop? Because the rest here is not found in the original. It should read, and every spirit that does confess, or I'm sorry, does not confess is not of God. So, obviously, John was writing specifically to a group of people that were dealing with a specific issue. What was the issue? The Gnostics. Now, we're not dealing with Gnostics today. I mean, there are people who have Gnostic beliefs, but but we're not dealing with the Gnostics. They were dealing with the Gnostics. The Gnostics said, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Their reasoning was this. Jesus could not be God and come in the flesh because all matter, every physical matter, is evil. Spirit is holy. Matter is evil. So they would say when Jesus came, um, he was like a phantom, you know. It appeared that he was in the flesh, but he really wasn't in the flesh. And when the disciples, you know, the 12 and Jesus would walk along the Sea of Galilee, you know, there would be, you know, 12 sets of uh, footprints, but not 13 because Jesus wouldn't leave footprints because he was a phantom, you know. Or some of the Gnostics would say, well, Jesus Christ God in the flesh, he couldn't have died upon the cross, you know. The the man died on the cross. So they're kind of going back and forth, you know. Well, was he a man? Was he a phantom? Was he a spirit? Was he this? And they have all these different views. And and yet there are, are groups today that have the same, similar kind of teachings, you know. You have You have the Mormons. That's one of the fastest growing religions, you know, at least in the West. And... Um, and yet, their doctrine, where did they get their doctrine? Well, they got their doctrine, they got their gospel, because it's a different gospel. Remember what Paul wrote to the Galatians, if anyone preaches to you another gospel, let him be anathema. Let him be damned, you know, accursed. And yet, uh, the Mormons, they got their gospel. Joseph Smith got his gospel from an angel. And it's funny that he would have, selected an angel to say that he got his gospel from because Paul wrote long before John, Joseph Smith came along that even if an angel from heaven were to preach to you another gospel, let him be anathema, you know. But here you got this whole religion that's based upon a supposed new revelation, new gospel from an individual that was hung because he was deemed a liar and a thief and a criminal and everything else goes from Joseph Smith to Brigham Young, and then, of course, you know, in America, of course, the history of the Mormon church is, is fairly known. You have the Jehovah Witnesses. You know, the Mormons would say that Jesus was the spirit brother of Lucifer. Of course, the Bible doesn't teach that. Did you know that the Book of Mormon says that Jesus was born in Jerusalem? They couldn't even get that right. I mean, that, that's pretty bad. You know, when, when the Old Testament and New Testament both speak of the fact that he was born in Bethlehem, you know. So there's a lot of, you know, errors. But still, people, they don't care about that. They don't care about details. They just care about, you know, uh, remember the, the gold tablets 
that he found and uh, he brought the gold tablets because there has to be witnesses of such things and and of course they went into a room they probably had the candles lit you know it was a dim light and ooh, you know and it says well, here they are and he takes the cover off the tablets and the men look and they said there's nothing there he says you can't see it no there's nothing there it's because you don't have faith Look again. He plays upon the pride of man. I, I see him. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Woo, they're shiny. <laughs> Jehovah Witnesses. Same thing. Jesus was um, Michael the Archangel. Where did they get that? I mean, it's, it's insane, you know. But you have all of these groups that come up with all these different things and all these different ideas, and they take away from the Word of God. And, and John, is saying, John is saying, listen, there are, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit, but you need to understand that there are deceiving spirits out there. What does the deceiving, deceiving spirit want to do? Deceive, yeah. They just want to deceive. I think probably the more most powerful deceiving spirit or deceiving doctrine out there is this universalism, you know. We're all God's children and it's all we're all going to be saved in the end and it really doesn't matter where you where you what you believe and what you do with your life, it really doesn't matter. All people are saved. Do you know who is teaching that uh probably the, the one that we're hearing the most, you know, the most pronounced or familiar teacher, if you could call him that, who's teaching this doctrine? The Pope. The Pope is teaching this. Universalism. You'll all be saved in the end. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're a Hindu. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you abide in my word or not. It doesn't matter what you believe. These are deceiving spirits. And so John, as he warns his readers of the deceiving spirits, look at verse 4. He says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now we know this first, don't we? At least the, the second part of it. We know it, we like it, we quote it. Quite often, uh, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. No, he's writing to believers. So the he who is in you is who? The Holy Spirit. That's right. And the he who is in the world would be who? Satan. Satan. Okay. Um, now, I got to back up because I'm leaving out a very important thing here. Look at verse 3 again. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. So there's the deceiving spirits, and then there's the spirit of Antichrist. He says, what you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So let me ask you the question again. The spirit in you... Holy Spirit, in light of that verse, 
the spirit in the world, he who is in the world, what would it be? In light of the context. The spirit of Antichrist. So the spirit of Antichrist is against Christ. It's against the message of Christ. It's against the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, it is contrary, it is opposed to, or it wants to replace any message, any truth concerning Jesus Christ. And John said, way back then, when this was written, what, 1900 years ago, something like that, maybe longer, he says that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And boy, we could testify to the fact that it's almost like we, we want to say, John, if you could only see things in the church in 2022. You know, guys, listen, the word of God is truth. And if you're reading the word of God, and we all will, you'll read something and you don't understand it. And you say, I, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand these things, you know. Just give it time. Give it time. You know, I used to wrestle with the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? When I was a new Christian, it felt like, you know, everyone was open to the God. Not everyone, but, you know, exaggerating. It seemed like there were a lot of people coming to faith in Christ. And and a lot of people, you know, this this understanding of being born again, as Jesus spoke of was understood and appreciated and embraced and people wanted to hear about it. I mean, you know, guys, I, it's, it's been kind of a, a fairly short span, but you think of things that have emerged in a fairly short period of time that kind of peaked out and now they're, they're dropping off. You know, I remember when I was first saved, coffee shops, Christian coffee shops were a big thing. You know, Christians would go and you would go and there would be music and there would be Bible study and people would just hang out and, and fellowship with one another. And it was just kind of a cool environment, you know. And then Christian bookstores. Boy, you'd go into a Christian bookstore. We would go, Tracy and I, we would stay in there for hours just looking at, at different books and, and all the classics, you know, these, you know, Spurgeon and Tozier and Havner and, you know, just these, you know, Amy Carmichael and, you know, some of the, Amy Carmichael, is that the one? Or am I thinking of, yeah. Yeah, Amy Carmichael. See, I'm trying to throw some women authors in. I never read the women authors, but my wife loved them, you know. And um, but and we would go in there, and Christian bookstore owners were usually very engaged. They they were involved in their church, and and many of them would have things, you know, in their Christian bookstore. They might have a Bible study in their Christian bookstore, and it was just an interesting time. Then you had contemporary Christian music. So it wasn't just the the hymns, not that there was anything wrong with the hymns, but there was this kind of change that took place uh, in the the 60s. And all of a sudden you had these young people that were coming to faith in Christ. And a lot of these young people now, they're musicians, they're songwriters, they play electric guitar and drums. And so, you know, which is appropriate. So they said, well, we want to worship the Lord with what we do. You know, it's so funny when people say, I just don't like that old... We used to have a lady, she would stay out, she would sit in the car until after the worship was over, then she would come in to hear the teaching. 
I was so glad when she left. I really was, honestly, because I felt like I felt like it's like an insult that you don't like our worship. And if our worship is so bad, and I think our worship is fantastic, but I might be biased. But um, this is what I say good worship is. And I'm selfish about this. Good worship is when I could shut my eyes and all I'm thinking about is Jesus. I'm not thinking about what's happening up here and what they're doing and oh, they're getting goofy, you know, God, tone it down to this type of thing. They're just simply worshiping the Lord themselves and I'm able to enter into worship and not think about anyone but Him. That's good worship, in my opinion. Worship's not a filler. I always get a little bummed out when I'm sitting there in our sanctuary. And I, especially during the winter, I notice that the back door opens for, as the latecomers are coming in. Now, I don't know who you are, so, you know, because I don't have eyes. I'm getting those put in next week. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I just know that, you know, because I know that when we open in prayer, the very few people that are there compared to how many people are there when I actually stand up at the podium and, and open in prayer, there, there's, a, there's quite a number. And I just think, these folks are missing it. They think this is somehow, it's like a gap between the teaching, you know. And so we'll just kind of come, oh, we got a few minutes, we're running late, it's okay. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Now I'm rebuking people, aren't I? But I don't understand it. I really don't. I, I would ask you to ask yourself that. Uh, we would never be late to work. If we were late to work as much as we're late to church, we wouldn't have a job. <laughs> but, it's, it, but you know what? It's a matter of value. What we don't value, we, don't, we just don't make time for it. You know, guys, when I got saved... We didn't attend there, but Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I've told the story. You know, it was the hippie church. It was known as the hippie church. And young people would show up at that building an hour, an hour and a half before service, services began. And they would sit on the floor, and, they, and the place would be absolutely packed out. And when the building was packed out, they would spread out onto the lawn. This is Southern California, so you could do that all year round. They had a, a big circus tent when they were remodeling the building, and they would be able to put, you know, a thousand people in the, in the circus tent. And people just loved to be there. And after the services were over, people would, um, would just hang out there. You guys know John Corson, you know, Applegate Christian Fellowship, John Corson. John was going to Biola College. He would hitchhike on Saturday night out to Costa Mesa with his sleeping bag. He would sleep on the campus of the church so that he would be there for Sunday morning services so that he could be there to serve if an opportunity was to show up. I mean, that type of enthusiasm, you say, no, that's radical, that's extreme. No, that's being born again. That's the Spirit of God in you saying, I don't want to miss this. Something special is happening. It's not, I've got to, I have to, you know. I guess maybe if it was Chuck Smith, you guys would be early too. But anyway, listen. He says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Guys, I want to show you something here. This is so interesting. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them. Who? Those 
of the spirit of Antichrist. You've overcome them. Because he who is in you, Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God, is greater than he who is in the world. There are those who believe that we, the church, will go through the tribulation. And, you know, if we don't have enough division in the church, in the body of Christ, this has really become a dividing factor, you know. If you're pre-trib, as I am, oh man, you, you know, you are hated, you know. How stupid can you be? We thought you were smarter than that. How could you believe in such a thing? This is crazy talk, you know. And so there are Christians that say, no, we're going to go through the tribulation. You say, well, where's the proof that we're going through the tribulation? And so they might read verses uh, that talk about the saints. Now, John says that because the Spirit of God is in us, we have overcome them. We have overcome the spirit of Antichrist. But during the tribulation, Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, just half a verse, it was granted to him, and I, I want you to look at it on your, not right now, but I want you to check it out. The him is the Antichrist. Look at, look at it. 